Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Today, I have my friend, Laura Cox from Cox Homestead, and thank you for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. So Laura and I actually met last year at Homesteaders of America, but we keep bumping into each other at events, and we decided it was time to hop on and chat on a podcast. Yes, I'm so honored to be here. Um, uh, God has brought us full circle. It's been beautiful to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were actually talking before the call that we met each other at Homesteaders of America last year. We were both just kind of like, oh, nice to meet you. And (laughs) we came full circle at the Women's Homestead Convention and really hit it off and just so excited to be able to reconnect again. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny how the Lord works because I practically blew you off in the fall because I don't, I don't homeschool. And so I was like, oh, you do homeschool stuff? Huh, great, you know? And then I see you in the, the spring here in Tennessee and I'm like, I've been waiting to see you. This is awesome, you know? So it, it worked out beautiful. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so I mean, I definitely want, you know, you are big into rabbits and that's why I wanted to bring you on today. But just to kind of back up on that, the reason you were kind of like, oh, homeschool is because you hadn't had a lot of good experiences, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was sharing a little bit before we hit record and I kind of, I've been hurt by a lot of homeschool parents and moms in particular. Um, And I just have put up this wall in my head that I didn't want to associate with them. I didn't want to be one of them because they hurt me. And Mm -hmm. so through the process of that, um, the weekend we met back in the spring, the Lord revealed to me that, you know, if I end up homeschooling, like I don't have to be that way. I don't have to be hurtful and judgmental (laughs) and, um, cast people out for not doing things the way that, that that I do. And so, um, I, we do use the public school system and I actually am a substitute teacher in the public school system. We have a little, um, K three school right down the road here. That's absolutely precious. Given we're in the Bible Belt, it's pretty close to a Christian school in a public school setting. Right. Um, A lot of great people. It has been absolutely wonderful. And so when people are so quick to bash public schools, I'm like, these are awesome people. Like, I'm having a great experience. I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) You know, you know, I totally understand it. My kids started in public school and they went to the same elementary school that I went to. They had some of the same teachers I did. And the teachers that weren't the same were my friends I went to school with and had already, you know, gone back into teaching themselves. Like I felt so good about the school my kids were in. Um, My husband and I moved out of California, you know, and everybody kind of goes, oh, California, that's going to be the worst schools. I lived in a town of 1700. These were were my people, you know, we, I was actually, my kids were sixth generation in that town. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when my husband and I moved to Oregon, actually, they started going to public school there. And that's where we were like, this is not for us. And we were even in a really small town in Oregon. And it, it was still, it was eight years ago. So it was long before COVID and any of those types of things. It was, we didn't feel like they were hard enough on our kids. 
Mm. We actually had a conversation with our oldest sons. It was his eighth grade teacher. And he said something along the lines of, we're like, he hasn't turned anything in and the stuff he has turned in, we've seen it. It's not good. And he, uh, I mean, it, and it wasn't like we were saying that he was, he was like turning in nothing. Like yeah. it would be like, you know, write a fair five paragraph essay and he'd write five sentences, you know? And the teacher goes, well, I found it really hurts the kids feelings. If I don't just give them A's. He's like, so I give them A's on all their regular work. And then we work together on their big projects. And I was like, no, like, that's not how this works. Oh my goodness. Wow. We were kind of running across that issue, like running into that issue across the board. Like my one son who has uh, the ODD that I talked about on Joe Winger's podcast, Mm -hmm. um, he would just... (sighs) He was disruptive in class. And so we sent him to the calm down room where he was able to watch a TV show that made him feel more comfortable. And I'm like, yeah, no wonder he goofs off every day in class because you just send him to a room where he's playing games and watching TV. Like, of course. Yeah. He's going to do that. Oh, wow. That is different for sure. I could see a big, huge culture shock going from, you know, your small little school that you felt Mm -hmm. like was doing a job to. We're yeah. just here to have a good time and make everyone happy. <laughs> right. And we were like, yeah, we're done. You know, which is interesting, Cody, because I feel like a lot of parents um, want what's going to make their kids happy and want what's going to make their kids comfortable and thrive. <laughs> and so for you to say that, that's where I relate to you. And the fact is like, no, we're going to get our crap done and we're not going to goof off. I kind of laugh when you were like, most people want their kids happy. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> we're not about feelings. <laughs> productivity only no yeah (laughs) you know I just felt like it was a different environment like I felt like I wanted them to have accountability to be able to understand due dates to understand like you know my daughter would come home and then she'd write something and I'd be like no that's you know she was only in first grade or something and I'm like you know that's not you know right let's try it again and she's like well my teacher said as long as I try my best that's all that matters and I'm like no, no, because like you're, you're not putting your best effort in. You're just saying I did my best. Mm-hmm. Like there's a difference between actually doing your best. Mm-hmm. And you as the mom know that best, you mm-hmm. know what their best is versus what they're saying their best is. Yeah. And so there was a whole other, you know, there was some diagnoses with my husband and that type of stuff that we were like, it's time. Let's bring the kids home and let's focus on the things that we find important. And that included extra time with my husband because he was given a really bad diagnosis. They told him he had about a year to live. Oh, wow. Um, we're six years later and he's in the best health he's ever been in. So praise God. That's awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, that was the catalyst to our homestead journey. So um, what a I mean, wake up call though. Yeah. I mean, we'd always like, we hunted, we had gardens, but we weren't, you know, we weren't growing all our own food. And they told him like, yeah, you, you might have about a year. Maybe if you eat a little healthier, you can push that out. Oh, wow. Yeah. And okay. Is he going to write a book? (laughs) No, I might, but (laughs) he can barely, (laughs) he can't even write a grocery list. (laughs) (laughs) but he there's going to be a story to tell for sure there is yeah I I definitely think it's it's a story that I can really connect with a lot of people on so yeah it's a lot of and you know to even see 
the weight that has been lifted off him getting his most recent like labs and scans and stuff back that he's a totally different person. So it's, uh, it's been really amazing to watch. So I'm enjoying that. Well, I will say the, one of the main reasons I got into raising rabbit, even meat of our own is for health conscious reasons, you know, knowing Mm -hmm. exactly what's in my food, where it's coming from. Um, And then later on, it's, you know, how it's cared for and all the other things that go along Mm -hmm. with that. But, um, I was a, I was a very overweight child and, and have struggled with the consequences of that, you know, into adulthood, um, into um, you're preaching and, to the choir here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so my whole thing with my, with my kids and my, with my husband and, and, and our kids is, you know, we, we just want to give them a fair chance. We want to mm-hmm. give them the healthiest childhood we possibly can, um, be that outside time, quality food, you know, quality time, those type of things. But um, that's kind well, of I what, get it. you know, I was, an over, I was an overweight kid and, but we were in that generation where like, I'd come home from school and my mom would be like, here's your soda pop and cheese. It's for your snack before we go to your swim lessons. That'll help you lose weight. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, yes. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're exactly right. Yeah. Pop tarts and yeah, cheeses and cookies. <laughs> right. <laughs> In, you know, I'm not going to deny we went on a road trip recently and like, you know, we stopped and we got like Cheez-Its and, you know, cause that's like, you know, fun car food, you know, but yeah. we also had a thing of hummus and cut up vegetables too. So, you know, <laughs> the balance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's that fine line of like, uh, worshiping your food, being so obsessed over it, being a hundred percent pure all the time versus living life and not letting mm-hmm. it consume all your thoughts. So um, yeah, that's you know, it's, all about, <laughs> it's moderation. When my husband got yeah. sick, I mean, we went full bore everything. And, you know, last night we had loaded baked potatoes that everything was all natural, like, you know, from our gardens, from friends, raw milk, dairies, and that type of stuff. And I cracked open a minute made lemonade to go with it because it just looked good. <laughs> hey, moderation, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> So you said you got started with rabbits as part of your, um, going down that health food. Tell me a little bit about like how that got going and your rabbit operation and. Sure. So when we, okay, let me back up to like getting into rabbits in Mm -hmm. general. We were living on a half acre in Knoxville. Um, we are outside of Knoxville now we are in Sevier County, different County. And, um, we had a half acre and my husband was like, well, we are doing all this gardening and growing, but we don't have a meat source. And he's like, why why not rabbits? And I was like, no, no, I had pet rabbits as a kid. We are not doing rabbits. (laughs) So like he would mention it every so often. This went on for about two years. He would mention it and I'd be like, no. Well, finally I had started seeing it show up in several places. And I'm like, I guess this really is sustainable. Like, I guess this really isn't that bad of idea. So I had to go back and be like, okay, buy the cage, buy the rabbits. I want nothing else to do with it. It's your thing. Mm -hmm. You can do it happy birthday, not my thing, you know? <laughs> and so he, he went and got the cage by himself. And then he was like, do you want to go to the farm with me to get the rabbits? And I was like, oh, I guess so. You know, he's like, well, do you want to pick them out? And I was like, yeah, I will. And so um, his project, he incorporated me into it somehow. And then uh, within six months of having those rabbits, I had taken over the whole operation. I had, um, fell in love with caring for them, how easy their care is, how clean mm-hmm. the animal is. And so 
It's I'm seriously, so I'm ready to give up Cornish crosses and go to chick and go to rabbits. I'm just, they're so, so gross. We have Cornish crosses out there right now. Um, I have 75 I have, of them right now and we're going to be butchering them when we get off this call. So yeah, I have cared for them one day and the one day I care for them, I killed one. So not my thing. <laughs> Accidentally. And I mean, I'm not joking about taking an animal's life, but they were going everywhere and they, I, ugh, it was nasty. And so, you know, the thing is the with those, cross. like, you know, we buy them in sets of 25 and we're lucky mm-hmm. to butcher 15 because yeah. they just like, you're like, oh, it's getting close to butcher time. Okay. We'll do it this weekend. And three die of a heart attack before the weekend comes. And you're like, yep. I'm fine. Just yeah. they get yeah. stuck in the fence. And cause you know, we have them out on pasture and I'm just, they're, they're like really small, nasty goats. But, yeah. And they, <laughs> they smell horrible. You can smell them just walking by. They taste amazing. Yeah. I'll help mm-hmm. with processing all day long. Cause that means yeah. they're out of my yard. Like I don't have a problem processing them. They are nasty, but I don't have a problem with that. But the mm-hmm. daily care of them things, uh-uh. cause my husband was thinking about us doing, you know, selling some chicken. And I was like, eh, that's you, not me. Right. <laughs> I, you know, my husband, he's kind of envious of the neighbor's giant chicken tractor, but they have like a whole, they have a store and everything and they're selling chicken right out their store. And we're getting ready to open a store. We're still 40. I say neighbors. We're 40 minutes away from town. And we're, like I said, right on the Canadian border. And there's some really nice rules for Canadians that they can come over and buy a certain amount of product and go back. Oh, And nice. so I'm like, you know, we're starting to like, you know, up our game a little bit on what's available on our farm. And he's like, yeah, I want to sell chickens. I'm like, when you can build a chicken tractor, like the people down the road have, I'm all about it. But when they're all out there stuck in the electric fence netting that we're using, like, no. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No, we have a chicken tractor, so they do get moved every day. But they're gross. They're absolutely gross. Mm -hmm. And so, I I mean, I like having the variety of meat. So, like I said, I'll help with processing. But day in, day out here, I want nothing to do with. Put me in the barn with the rabbits any day. I'm happy to do it. I don't even mind (laughs) scooping their poop. It doesn't smell that bad. So, not to mention, I can sell their poop. And I make even more money off of the animals. What are you going to do with chicken poop? (laughs) Nothing. Right. Well, (laughs) and I mean, I do use the chicken poop out of our layers for like the garden and stuff. Like I'll clean Uh out the um, coop in the fall. We do like the deep litter method and clean it out in the fall and put it out in the garden. And then in the spring, we kind of work it in and stuff, but yeah, there's just those Cornish crosses there. They are. It's like we're we're pig farmers. That is our main source of everything. And I would rather smell a pig over a Cornish cross any day. So, well, I mean, bacon's better than chicken anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) no, I will say, so our layers, we do the deep deep litter method and we use that in the gardens too. But these Cornish cross, we're removing them on tractor. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just that poop behind every day. You know, we're not scooping that up. So, they're just making your pasture better. It is exactly. So, I mean, it, it has its place. I'm not saying it doesn't, but rabbits for me, that requires less space it less odor. You can do it in your garage. Um, you could do it in your carport. You know, you don't even have to have a bunch of land to do it. So, yeah, no, that's really nice about that. And a lot of people that live in like HOAs and stuff, you can mm-hmm. have a small rabbit operation where you're, you know, putting 10 good size rabbits in your freezer a couple times a year or more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I actually talked to a lady that lives in a very swanky upscale subdivision in West Knoxville. And if anyone's listening knows the Tennessee area, we'll know what that means. But she put bushes, she built bushes in her backyard to hide her rabbit tree. 
so funny. <laughs> Absolutely cracks me up, but she's like, I'm ready if something happens. I've got rabbit meat, you know. So, nice. Uh, you can you know, do I it. Raised them, I raised them and showed them as a kid um, in awesome. 4-H and then my kids did it. And then my husband loved them so much. He'd be out there like messing with the rabbits every day and turned out he was allergic to them. <laughs> Oh no, just the hair, the fur. The hair, yeah. Yeah. But then every time, like, you know, as one of our kids gets old enough to start showing in 4-H, we go out and get him a rabbit and he's out there snuggling him again. And I think, will you stop? (laughs) You need a hairless rabbit? Do those exist like the hairless cat? (laughs) Well, you know, he probably wouldn't snuggle the hairless ones. True. Now, I always tell people if they're looking at to get a rabbit, because we sell some rabbits for pets as well as you know for breeding stock and things mm-hmm. like that I would say you need to come hold them you need to schedule a session come hang out with these rabbits to see because an allergy is a, is a real thing you know it I've is, had people yeah. on my farm get hives um not knowing mm-hmm. they were allergic and I'm yeah I'm so sorry when that happens but it's good well, for them to know and not know, knowing how to properly hold a rabbit you can easily end up you know injuring them and oh yeah or yourself rabbits yeah. are Ooh. they can really scratch you I have scars I, yeah I still have scars <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something we offer here is I offer what we call a bunny or a farm experience. And it's a time of education, teaching people about the rabbits or sheep or chickens or whatever they're interested in, mm-hmm. but often pest people do it for the rabbits and I teach them how to hold them and how to tell what gender they are and what their diet and their care is and things like that. And so I encourage people if they've never had a rabbit before or raise rabbits to do one of those so they can learn from somebody. I wish I would have had that when we got into raising mm-hmm. rabbits. And so that's why I turned around and was like, okay, I'm going to offer this and educate as much as I can. So, and then I've started the 4-H chapter in our area for rabbits oh, too. That's awesome. Good to get the kids involved. And so we practice getting rabbits in and out of the cages because that's the place where you're going to get scratched the most transition mm-hmm. time. And I just, I kept making them do it over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be scared. And I was like, do it again, do it again. So yep. um, that, and we learned the genders right away. Cause ha- you don't know how many messages I get that. Oh, I thought I had two girls, but now there's a litter of bunnies. And I'm like, well, you didn't have two Congratulations. Girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a grandma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I feel like I cross both worlds of those looking for a, a sustainable meat source and a pet source pretty well. I don't have a ton of training and experience on like house rabbits per se, but I know a little bit. I've dabbled enough mm-hmm. to gain some knowledge to be able to share with people when they come. But I've heard they can be litter box trained. That's right. Yeah, they can. Well, I'll just add mind. that if you're looking to do that, don't put them on a wire bottom cage in your house and try to litter box train them because they're just going to go through the wire bottom cage. But if you have them on a flat surface and provide a litter box, then they're more likely to go to it. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So let's talk breeds a little bit. Like what kind of breeds do you suggest for pets versus for a sustainable meat source? So I think that's where a lot of people get confused. Yeah. So really, um, one of my mentors taught me that any rabbit could be a meat rabbit. It just depends on how much meat you want. So there's not a like, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. Um, Obviously, if you're dealing with a long haired rabbit, you're going to deal with a mess when it comes to processing them. Um, So we use mostly short haired rabbits. We have New Zealand's and then we have a line from Polyface Farm in Virginia. And then I have recently bought a French lop to incorporate to see if I can get bare grow out weights. Yeah, so that those are big. Day of processing um, 
we'll have more meat ideally. Um, people don't typically use a full bread um, Flemish giant or French lop, like your giant breeds. They don't mm -hmm. typically, you think, oh, big rabbit, but you're going to grow bones faster than you are meat. And so people will take, if they're wanting to try and get bigger grow out weights, they can take one of those giant breeds and cross it with one of your standard California, New Zealand, chinchilla mm -hmm. mixes to get a lot of Flemish and Californians mm -hmm. or New Zealand's, even Rex's. Yeah. 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 Rex is one. Rex is a popular, another popular breed because people like to use them for their fur. Mm -hmm. We don't take any fur here. It goes to our dogs or the compost, whichever we need at the moment. Um, and so th that's not something that I've specialized in necessarily is, is tanning hides, but a lot of people that do that, um, will go for the Rexes and you have to let your rabbits get a little bit older to tan hides. Um, so they have their adult coat and things like that. Um, but so most common you're going to find is Californian, New Zealand, American chinchilla, Rex, um, cream. I'm probably going to butcher how I say this cream day or jar argent. Do you know that one? Right. Yeah. I've seen it. I you don't understand how to say out. it. No. <laughs> um, that is not as common, but if you're going to, if you're looking for a cheap rabbit to get into it, your California, New Zealand's are going to be your easiest, cheapest to find to get into it. And why you don't see a lot of people incorporating those giant breeds because they cost a lot more. So you're mm. looking at a 20 to $30 rabbit, which is your New Zealand, Californian versus I paid $150 for my French lop. I mean, you got to really think about your investment because mm -hmm. I mean, you're getting to like a, a goat price or a sheep price <laughs> when right. you get up that high, you know? So like, so. but when you go with those bigger breeds, like it would be nice to be able to have them as the male, but d then do your females have any problems with giving birth and stuff? If you We're going to find out. We're going to find out. All right. So your yeah. French lop is a male? Yeah. Yeah. I went okay. with him because that's what I had access, I could get access to was a male. Okay. Because um, I mean, you know, if you're going to spend more, like spend it on your buck and then he can handle everybody. Yeah. But... yeah. That's, that's my goal. Um, and I had to, I mean, it wasn't like I just got on Craigslist and found one. I had to find a breeder and wait and jump through some hoops. You know, they're very right. specific on who they sell to. And I mean, it's, it's a different world when you get into these fancier breeds versus what I'm doing. But even myself, I don't like to just sell to anyone. I like to know, you know, what's the purpose, what's the care. And I say, Hey, you get this rabbit, you have it for a few months. It's not working out. Bring it back. No questions mm -hmm. asked. You can't ask me questions. I won't ask you questions. Just bring it back. Don't let it loose. You know, <laughs> don't put right. it on Craigslist. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's awesome that you do that because I mean, there's even times that us as breeders and farmers, we've bought an animal that we're like, we get at home and we're like, this isn't a right fit for our farm. Yeah. And then you're having yeah. to find another option or another home for it. So mm -hmm. yeah. And I've been really blessed when I have rabbits that I've retired from my breeding program, mm -hmm. I, I would share them on my Instagram. And I think about every one of them's gotten taken because they know that they're cared for and docile and those type of things. And so then I get to go see my rabbits live their best life, you know, as a pet somewhere. And so, um, Aww, cause people often ask, you know, do you eat your breeders? And yes, we have, we've mm -hmm. eaten some of them, but there's a few that let's say she just wasn't a good mom, but she's an awesome rabbit, you know, then I'll list her and, and let somebody else enjoy her too for a, a super discount. Right. You know, 
Right. I, you know, we have two sows right now that we're redoing our whole breeding program and they are wonderful, sweet sows that, I mean, I was just out there yesterday feeding them eggs straight out of my hand and they're probably 700 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, They just, they're mother and daughter and they genetically have small litters. And so when we're trying to redo our program, we want the larger litters. One nice thing about them is if I breed them at the same time as somebody who has a larger litter, both of them will take in orphan babies. Oh, nice. So I'm like, gosh, I just have a really hard time making, (laughs) making sausage sows. But, you know, and I would sell them as a sausage sow because that's not me having to do it. Yeah. I I don't want to know about it. But, you know, my husband and I actually, you know, we had the conversation that if we can't sell them, we might have to consider having them be sausage sows. And that's just what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have, we're eating someone's sausage sow right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we are people that will take them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, well, we did a sausage sow last year, but she was only two, but she was rude. And so, Oh yeah. Yeah. We kind of have the same policy. We don't keep any biters um, because mm -hmm. it can be caught and passed on. And so. Yeah. um, She was attacking other pigs and actually mm -hmm. like almost killed our new boar. Like he was younger. Yeah. It was bad. So we're like, Nope, you're done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, he had, he, this was Brad's idea to do the rabbit thing. Mm -hmm. I agreed because we were on a small scale. Um, Okay. We can do this. We moved to five acres and expand our rabbitry um, quite huge now. And we are able to then take our grow outs, which are the rabbits that haven't sold um, that we're going to use for meat. And we, we, we raise them on pasture. And so therefore saving us about 70% in feed cost. And our grass is some of the best grass in the County. I'm not going to brag, but I am bragging. (laughs) I bet it is like, you don't even have to. (laughs) In the spring, our, our yard now we're in a drought now, so it's not quite as pretty. It's still striped, but um, it was so great. It was like neon green out there. It was beautiful. And I have no doubt it was from these rabbits. And so that was all of our backyard. So right now we have the rabbits in the front yard. I told Brad, like next year, our front yard is going to be beautiful too. (laughs) So, so are you, you're feeding them strictly off grass or are you supplementing at all? No, they do get pellets. They get one J feeder of pellet a day and we have 10 in each tractor. We use the Salatin tractor. So if okay. someone's looking to do a rabbit tractor, you can get those from the Polyface design book. And um, we just give them one feeder of food a day and we have, we put up to 10 in there and we move them every day. Um, sometimes depending on where they're at and what's going on, I have moved them twice a day when it gets closer to the end and they're eating a lot Okay, um, because we have the land, we can do that. But ideally you don't want to go back over the same spot, um, within six months and you do run the risk of them contracting coccidiosis while they're out there doing that. If that happens, the meat is still good. You just wouldn't want to consume the livers. Um, which some people do and don't care about. Uh, we, we do eat the livers typically, but if they're um, spotty, then we toss them. And um, trying to think when I noticed coccidiosis the most was this spring when it was really wet. Otherwise we haven't had issues. We basically just have one round of issues. And of course it was the first time we had a processing workshop here at the farm and oh, everyone yeah. coccidiosis. I was like, okay. So- do you treat them with porridge or something if they get that or how do you Uh, No, you don't we don't know until processing and at that point there's no need to do anything besides toss the liver because you can still eat the meat different with chickens when they just get so sick and 
Yeah. Yeah. So these guys only live to about 12 weeks anyway. Well, they can mm-hmm. live longer, but we process around 12 to 13 weeks. And so um, we don't know until we go to process what's going on. Now, if I okay. had an outbreak in my barn, which is where all my breeders are, then I could treat them with something. But oh, okay. Um, I get what you're saying there. Our yeah. main our main breeders are up off the floor in the barn protected. Okay. Because so I've, never, I've never dealt with coccidiosis with anybody that was I'm going to be butchered. So I didn't know if there was like a withdrawal time on that or anything. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you can treat them. Some people do, but we, we don't Um, simply, we just toss the livers or give them to the dog. Okay. So for anybody who doesn't know what withdrawal time is, if you treat an animal with any type of medication, especially like a wormer or a antibiotic and stuff like that, there is a certain amount of time before you can butcher them and consume the meat for human consumption. If it has that medication still in there. So that's what a withdrawal time is. So always watch that if you're going to butcher any animal on your property that you haven't wormed or given them antibiotics in a certain amount of time. So, yeah, yeah that is so important. In fact, when we bought our French lop, she does standard practice of treating her rabbits before she sells them. So um, it's always a good question to ask people, you know, have they been treated with something? Yeah. Like I always worm piglets before they leave our property because piglets are really susceptible. Like, because worms, they're just, they're there. They're on everyone's Mm -hmm. property. It's all about controlling infestations. And when pigs go off our property, their immune systems just drop. And I mean, worms and, 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 uh, ammonia, ammonia, pneumonia (laughs) can like both just take them down like so fast. So I will always worm them. And then I let them know, like if they get stuffy noses after they leave antibiotics, like right away. And if you live locally, I'll swing by and give them a shot because, but I don't like to give them antibiotics without permission on that one, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I do to help prevent sickness or something going on within the first two weeks when I sell them, I said nothing but pellet and hay those first two weeks. Cause oftentimes people get a new rabbit and a much smaller investment, you know, much smaller animal, not as mm-hmm. big of an investment as a sow or, you know, a, a, a hog, a pig. Mm-hmm. And so I say, no, nothing besides pellet and hay those first two weeks, because you get it and you want to, you want to give them these treats and you right. want to you know, watch them eat. And it is so cute, but just like with the pigs, their immune system is shot because they're stressed they're transitioning to mm-hmm. a new place. And so I advise people at least two weeks, if not three weeks before you introduce anything new, let them get used to you your space and everything. And same thing, like when we take on a new rabbit, like our French law, he is still quarantined from the rest of our rabbitry, just because I don't want to introduce anything in there. And so I, he's fine now. It's just, I need to get him back out there with everybody, but everybody right. goes through. We just got three pigs yesterday and they're in, they're in quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just good practice to have. Now I will say we did not do that with our sheep. Um, simply because we have three acres fenced in and keeping anything separated. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> in that small space, we're like, we're just taking the risk. So mm-hmm. well, a, a you does not, a sheep does not want to be by themselves at all. And so, yeah, uh, no, they freak out. <laughs> yeah. So, so if somebody was, you know, kind of wanting to get started with meat rabbits, like what would you suggest? What does that process look like? Yeah. So a lot of people start with what we call a breeding trio and that's two does and a buck. And if you don't know where to get rabbits, you can check with your local extension office, see if they know of a breeder, um, check with the 4-H groups. Oftentimes you can find very good quality rabbits from um, 4-H group because they're breeding to standards, especially if they're doing show rabbits. Um, you can get good, good quality meat breeders um, going that route. 
Um, after you've gone those two routes and you're still desperate, you can look on Craigslist or Facebook groups. Um, I would just encourage you to ask a lot of questions where you're purchasing your mm -hmm. rabbits from. Um, don't be shy. Ask about what the weight of the mom and the dad are so you can know what to expect of your rabbits when they're growing out and mature. Because oftentimes people get these little bitty rabbits and they're like, oh, it's so cute. And then like, you know, two months <laughs> later, they're this 10 pound monster. And like, I wasn't expecting this. And so um, ask lots and lots of questions. Uh, a lot of rabbitries don't necessarily let guests into the rabbitry. Some will. So if they'll let you in, you can go look. I personally don't let people into my barn. I bring the rabbits out and that's just a protection measure for my setup. But you can see any and everything I do online. I have videos and pictures. I don't hide anything. So there's nothing mm -hmm. to hide. It's the biosecurity. Yeah. Um, for my for my animals in my barn and so that's for each time I have one strip that they can walk into my barn uh -huh. and there's three pens where they can pick their piglets but that's the only place they're traipsing in and out so yeah yeah I let my 4-H group in one time <laughs> <laughs> they were they would look every week they would peek in they peek in I was like it's coming it's coming but not yet you know so <laughs> had to build up the fence. So yeah. get, you know, start with your breeding trio and um, depending where you're at, it'll determine, you know, when you want to start breeding, but ideal age for your medium sized meat rabbits will be four to six months. It's when you want to start getting them babies bred for the largest litters and the healthiest producers. And then I breed. So I'm in the South. It gets pretty hot here, uh, June, July, August, September, even, but I breed, I, mid-August through April. Once April hits, it's starting to get warmer. I typically don't do any more breedings. And so then my does have off a few months and I have a few months to catch up on everything and um, give them a break. Cause it can be really hot, like the heat. I don't have oh. heat specific rabbits. Cause there are some, if you're in Florida or Texas, there's the Texas A&M breed that supposed to be really hardy for, hmm. for those in the, a warmer climate. But we just have your standard New Zealand and polyface rabbits. So we give them a break in the heat of the summer. Nice. So what is the gestation period on them? Gestation for rabbits is 28 to 35 days. Most kindle around day 31, day 32. Um, we get, provide nest boxes at day 28. And then I uh, put some straw in there for them. And then I expect babies within the few days. First time moms will sometimes go a little later. That's why I say up to day 35. Um, if you've bred your rabbits, you have to watch for them to successfully breed, which we call that a fall off. Mm -hmm. And if you've had that where the male, the buck actually falls off, I don't know how else to say it, but right? <laughs> it's an act. It's not just a, it's not just a hump motion. They actually have an act where they fall off or thump yes. real hard afterward. Doesn't, it doesn't always take that I have learned, but 99% of the time you need to watch for that. And then that's day one, you put that on your calendar. And then when you get to day 28, that's when you put the nest box and some straw in there for them to make a nest. And some rabbits will pull fur um, the day they kindle, some will pull it way ahead of time. It just really depends on your dough, but they'll pull fur from their belly, their underside, their dewlap and their sides to make a beautiful nest for their babies. It's really, oh, they're so awesome sweet. The oh yeah. It's, the nature just instinct takes over for them. And oftentimes mm -hmm. first time moms don't get it right. you know, and the second time around they're awesome mom. So we have a three strike policy, you get three, three strikes. And if you can get it by the third strike, then you're going to stay. If you don't, then we move on, but 
Good. Yeah. So you need protection on at least three sides of your rabbit tree and your rabbit cages. We use all wire. Um, there's no wood on any of our cages. Now there's where they're in a wooden barn, but they don't have access to that wood. Um, that's a personal preference. Some people have wood on their hutches. It's all a matter of what you have access to, but wood is a great place for ear mites. They're going to chew on it. Urine's going to stink on it. Um, to me, it's just going to break down faster. Um, but if that's all you have access to, that's fine. You at least need a cover over top. And like I said, three sides. And then the summertime, depending on where you are, you can get by with less. Um, you just want to make sure they're not in the heat of the sun because it will do a lot of damage on them. Essentially, they're wearing a winter coat. And so um, getting that shade to them is really important. I've lost some rabbits before to heat when I was living in California as a kid. So yeah, California gets hot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's very important. They do, My rabbits do better in the winter months than they do in the summer months here. You go out in July and they're just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Like you can do it, baby. Hang on. That's why I don't make my mothers have babies during that because it is a lot. Yeah, that's too much. You'd probably lose a lot of babies too. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've, one of my best friends, I warned her, I said, uh, about to say her name, but I won't call her out. I said, you better not breed them again. Well, sure enough, she did. And she's like, I'm losing babies. This was in June. I think it was last June. And I was like, I warned you. Like, (laughs) like, you're right. No more. And I'm like, exactly. You have to give them time off. So. So when you're feeding out uh, some kits to, for butcher, what's kind of your process during that 12 weeks with them? Okay. So they're with their mom until week six. At week six, they're either sold to another family or they go out into the tractor, what the rabbit tractor on our, in our yard. And they're there from week six to week 12. Um, And then around week 12, we will pull their day day before we're going to process or the night before we'll pull their food and water. And we we're typically morning people. If we can, we get up, you know, the next morning and take care of them. And they get all the grass they want. And then a a thing full of pellet and it's pretty easy, really low maintenance. And our tractors are so light, the kids can move them. So it's makes for a great chore for them too. Um, I'm not going to lie. It took me a while to get comfortable with processing. Um, Brad did all of that for the first probably year, year and a half. And then he would just bring me these carcasses and I would cook. I had no problem cooking and quartering. I just, the the initial taking the life was hard for me. And so I told him though, I said, you know, people's looking at me, they're learning for me and I'm not willing to go out and do that. It's time that I do it. And so probably about two years ago, I was like, here we go. You know, and it was also around the same time I had started posting about meat rabbits on social media back in 2020. I think it was maybe three years ago. I posted (laughs) about it and like, I didn't know there was going to be hate. Like I was so naive. I was just like, I was proud. I was like, we're so sustainable, you know, and I have my picture holding my meat rabbits and it was like, they came from, I had like 300 followers and it was just me and my 300 best friends, you know, but right. like these people found me and I was like, oh my gosh, like, do I even talk about this? You know, I was, oh, oh I was so culture shocked of that there was going to be so well, much hate. And there's always someone with an opinion. I mean, I always have people like, oh, yeah. you don't pasture raise your pigs. And I'm like, yeah, I can't because they're large breed and their systems don't, can't be pastured. So I choose large breed because that is what my kids show. And that is where I make my income is selling show pigs and fast growing. There you go. I cannot pass. I mean, they can be on pasture, but they can't eat that. It's not enough to feed them. They need yeah. more, you know, and. 
And what people don't think about is they may have their cute little hall and lot, but that breed has been preserved years and years and years. What do they think happened to all those ones that didn't meet the standard? Like, right? <laughs> They've been eaten for centuries. The reason why we have domesticated rabbits in America today is because they were brought over on the ship as a quick protein source when they got here. Yeah, because they're fast. They're just like the chickens, like we were talking about. They are. Chickens, we butcher at like eight weeks. So, you know, the rabbits at 12 weeks, you're getting that fast protein. You are. You really are. And so all this hate come in and I, I didn't talk about it hardly at all on my social media for probably a year. I had to really wrestle, like, am I going to share about this? And I think I had made like one other small post about a year later and people were like, I'm so glad you're sharing about this. You know, the few positive voices Mm -hmm. spoke up and I was like, you know what? I have to, I have to push forward with this. I have to teach people that they can do this and that it's not a crime to raise your own meat essentially. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, and, and then I would look, I would look at the, the profiles that were mean and hateful and I would, you could tell by looking at their profile, they're lost, they're hurting, they're upset, you know, they're not mm-hmm. happy. Their mission was to not like to steal my joy essentially. And so thankfully I was able to look past that and push through. Um, oh yeah. I have people come sharing. on my page just to like make fun of my kids' names and stuff. You're like, go find something better to do. Right. Yeah. I, I've had a few tell me I look like a man and I'm like, okay. You dug deep for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have, you know, I'm a big girl. I had somebody comment that it looks like, you know, looks like your body is floating. Well, the picture was I was wearing a sweater and the wind was blowing. I'm like, thank you. Like, I feel so much better about myself now. Right. Right. So it was for me, it was overcoming like they're angry or hangry is what I say. They're hangry yeah. people, you know, that don't like me educated. Maybe you should so. eat some rabbit and you'll feel better. That's right. And, you know, they're so multi-purpose. You know, you can use their, their manure as a cold compost. can go straight on your garden. Mm-hmm. If you have a dog, any scrap pieces from that rabbit, minus the intestines, we compost those. But the heart... Mm-hmm. um the kidneys the that's, liver if you don't want to eat it the I lungs. always feed my dogs the awful uh-huh. because that's not yeah we just the don't feet, like it so yeah the ear everything yeah yeah and so essentially our dog's getting like the best food possible too we have no problem getting the best food for our dogs so mm-hmm. why not our humans too so <laughs> right it, um they're, they're so multi-use and then they're like I said, our garden is amazing because of it when then we have this food and I'm able to offer education classes I'm able to essentially turn them into a small business that helps pay for itself for us to have this lean meat. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So about how big is a carcass after butcher? Um, so we shoot for five pounds life weight. Um, we don't always get to that because I do have a few that I keep for looks because I do sell so many for pets. Some of my New Zealand's mm-hmm. are a little bit smaller. Um, ideally you, you would have five pounds a good rabbit for me is a five pound live weight, two and a half pound process weight. Okay. Um, we're, bringing, we're bringing in this French lot, hoping for, I have a friend up north in Maryland and she gets um, four and a half pounds process weight with her French lot mix. Wow. So that'd be a whole nother. I mean, so yeah, four and a half pounds process. That could be a full meal. Yeah. Yeah. For a family, like with the two and yeah. a half pound ones, are you having to use two for your family? For well, you have a smaller family, no, right? yeah. We just have two kids and they're both still young. Um, no, uh, 
that does it for us. And if I put it in soup, it will make, you know, even more. Several, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, let's talk recipes. Sure. What are your favorites? Um, I have found that I really like to cut my rabbits up and quarter them. And then oh, I love it grilled. It's amazing. You have to do whatever you're doing with rabbit. You have to do it low and slow. So low temperature for a longer time. You kind of get that like gaminess, like a little bit more than you would with like a, I don't know, like a chicken or something. No, it's so lean. There's, Mm. there's hardly any fat. And so you don't, if you cook it fast, you're going to make it tough. Um, you, I add a fat. I, I prefer bacon grease or olive oil and anything with a lower smoke point is fine because you're going to be cooking it low anyways. And then um, I use, a lot of times I just use my seasoned salt on it and grill it or um, put it in the oven. I'll just put it in a pan with some bacon fat on it and my seasoned salt and put it in a convect 275 and probably in about an hour and a half, you have the best tasting <laughs> rabbit you could ask for. And if you want to do it whole, you can do it similar. You just got to make sure you're checking different parts to make sure it gets up to temp. Um, okay. But then I will cook it sometimes. And I have found if you boil it and pull it off the bone, it tastes rabbity. Um, mm. If you grill it or cook it in a similar fashion to chicken, it tastes more chicken-like. Um, I like a lot of it off the bone. I don't mind to eat the big legs off the off the bone, but I like, I love the tenderloins. And so I'll make a whole pack of tenderloins in the pan, like chicken tenders, grilled chicken tenders with bacon grease and seasoned salt. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's really, it, there's a learning curve when you get it, you know, you, a lot of people say, Oh, it was tough. I was stringing. I didn't like it. You know? And I'm like, well, you kind of got to learn it, People say, just cook it like chicken, but you got to cook it slower and add a little bit more fat. Cause it is lean. Um, but once you figure it out, it's delicious. Absolutely delicious. Yeah. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you have like a breeding trio, like how many rabbits are you looking at being able to butcher a year in a ideal scenario? Sure. So at my rabbits, I usually get about three breedings a year from them. Okay. And I'll just use my polyface ones as an example, because we got those this fall and got to work. I guess we would have had four if I would have used them. Yeah. We would have had four litters if I would have started with them right away, but I didn't. I think we started in October with them. Um, So three to four litters a year, depending on, but let's just say three in case you don't have a ton of room to put a bunch of grow outs Mm -hmm. and getting eight per litter. So eight times three is 24 rabbits, 24 times two is 48 plus another half pound. So let's say 50 to 60 pounds per doe. So oh wow. You're there at 100 to 120 pounds of meat from two does and above. I mean, that's I mean that's, a third, that's a third of your dinners for the year. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And then you can use the uh, bones for bone broth. Um mm-hmm. and so we a lot we have always have I have all sorts of or people call stock broth, whichever you interpret or however you cook it. But mm-hmm. we always have that and I'll boil my potatoes in it or, you know, steam the broccoli in it, whatever it is. I incorporate it all the time. So nice. Yeah. Good. I mean, we're, I get busy and like, I'll just, I have a whole shelf in my freezer just of chicken carcasses. So yeah. Like, oh, I have time today. I can pull a few out and roast mm-hmm. them and throw them in the pot. So 
And the nice thing about when I do the bone broth for the rabbits is once those bones are done, I know a lot of people now are doing the whole, like making their own bone meal. I'm not that level. Um, I don't have so many hours in the day, <laughs> right. but I have those tender bones of rabbits. If it's just rabbits alone and go to my chickens. So then it's yeah, simple true. That so what, as long as it's good and soft. So well, of course, that's why the community sufficiency is so important. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't have time in my day for making bone meal. So get it from someone else or, Hey, maybe yeah. four bones. I would be happy to give you bones. If I could get a bag back of bone milk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about bartering. Yes. Right. <laughs> so in the state of Tennessee, I cannot legally sell rabbit meat unless okay. I go through a USDA processor and the closest processor is three hours away. So yep. I feel you on that one. Um, now, can you sell them a live one? Yes. And then once yes. it's an animal, they can uh, choose whoever they want to butcher it. It can be, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There are some ways around it. I don't do I mean, a ton of play. Like there's like the that. custom processing for us, which is like for the pigs. I can have a custom plant, you know, custom slaughter plant come to the house with a, like a mobile butcher. And I already have a contract for somebody else. And they butcher or they, they slaughter right there on my land. They take it to town. They um, they butcher, they do all the packing and that's for someone else. And I was just paid separately. But then in Idaho, we can butcher it's up to 500 rabbit or chickens a year because we don't have a USDA plant or even a custom slaughter plant, which custom doesn't have to be USDA anywhere in Idaho. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So we can sell chickens. We can sell, I think, up to like a thousand chickens. Wow. But we can't sell rabbits. So I, I would love to, I haven't, I've I dabbled on working with that, reaching out to some people. And then I got working this year, but I'm hoping to reach out and try and get that change and see, you know, why can't we get this changed? And so. Right. Um, I bet there, there's probably, you know, it's never, it's never easy when you're working with government, but no. if you're showing an interest and. Yeah. I, I was a food safety right? yeah. I was a food safety specialist for 10 years. So I worked in food safety plants doing all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, but to me, like the rabbits are so much cleaner, as we were talking about in the beginning. Like right? chickens are nasty. And yeah. You tell me I can't process a rabbit. It's so much cleaner. And <laughs> so, so right. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, it's like one of those things where horse meat is illegal in the United States. The only reason it's illegal is because it's not regulated by the USDA in any way. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. I've eaten I've, horse. It's fine. I've, <laughs> I've wondered a lot about horse. <laughs> I haven't eaten it, but I've wondered. So, right. uh, Once upon a time, I lived really near a place that raised uh, bucking horses. And they had a young one break his leg. I mean, you're not, it's really hard to fix a horse's broken leg anyway. Oh, yeah. But one that's being raised for a bucking bronc, he would never be uh-huh. what they were raising him for. So they butchered him. And I was a young single mom. So I got meat. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. My friend recently had a bear take out her whole chicken tractor. And uh, I was like, get the bear to replace your meat. And he said, if she was to get it, if they were to shoot it, they could have it. But the minute it goes in the trap that the, 
the, oh goodness, the park guy mm-hmm. set. I'm drawing a blank on my Tennessee Department of Fishing game. Or, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. As soon as it went in that trap, they could no longer have it. I was like, block that trap and shoot that bear so you can replace your meat. Yeah, I. <laughs> we have definitely, um, you know, we get tags every year for animals that we would not eat, but our dogs will. Yeah. We can also go. pick up roadkill here. Okay. And we'll do that for the dogs. Yeah. I think it, Jill Winger uh, had a podcast recently and I forget the name of the lady that she had on there, but she was talking about, she first started getting into meat and processing meat with roadkill. Really? She, yes. Yes. Yeah. Very fascinating. If you haven't listened to that, go and check it oh, out. I'm so behind on podcasts right now. Say what? I'm so behind on podcasts oh, right now. I know. Ditto. Ditto. But I happened to catch that one because it was about me. And, you know, that's kind of uh-huh. what I do and talk about. And right. Awareness on. So I tuned in and I was like, roadkill. Because we had a deer out here this year and I, in my front yard, someone uh-huh. hit it. And I was like, oh, can I get it? You know, and I, I drag it up to the house and I'm like, foam is going everywhere from his mouth. And someone says, if it's foaming and it's belly's bloated you probably can't have it by now and this lady on her podcast was like no you probably still could have and I'm like oh man you know but there was nowhere for me to put this deer the the Tennessee wildlife would not take it they have no place to put it so essentially then I had this deer on my property that and we have five acres and we have sheep so I'm not just going to leave it here and attract the coyote Mm-hmm. So I had to drive 25, I had to call a friend and say, Hey, can I dump this deer on your farm 25 minutes away? Oh, that's um, terrible. We, yeah. Because we didn't have nowhere to dispose of it, which I uh-huh. have, it's a messed up system, but. Well, we've actually, we hit a deer ourselves and it, we ran over its head. We brought it home and butchered it for ourselves because yeah. there was no damage. Whereas my husband's on the fire department. So he get calls, he gets calls in the middle of the night you know, people hit a deer and they need to get a tow truck or something. And so he's out there doing traffic control and he's bringing the deer home for dog food. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I would have had the the nerve to cut into that thing and, and see what was going on. I was also <laughs> going to work that afternoon. So it was like, I had just a few hour window and I was like, ah, yeah, so, we but, are lucky enough that we have a walk-in cooler. So sometimes if we're like, uh, we don't have time for that, we can just hang it in the cooler and deal with it later. Oh, that is nice. Hey, I thought we were living high on the hog. We got a second fridge, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With as many kids as we have, we have three freezers. I'm just like, done. (laughs) Well, you're in the hog business too, so that's warranted. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I actually, I have two freezers out in the barn that are just for hog meat, for people to come buy meat from me, so. That's awesome. Which is nice being 40 minutes from town. Like I have people call, they're like, you know, right now it's all they call and schedule it. But like Sunday mornings, sometimes we don't go to church because I mean, the closest church is 40 minutes away and, you know, nothing is open here on Sundays. So people will call and be like, Hey, can we come over and buy some sausage and eggs? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know? And so that's, we're actually going to expand our little store because we feel like that could, we're going to have yeah, the cows will be in milk again in a few months. And we have two freezers full of pork. We always have eggs. And I'm like, you know, let's just open it up and make it. I'll probably do like an honor system for the milk and eggs and then just have the meat unlocking keys. So yeah, that's awesome. We I have the little produce and flower stand on my property. And I get lots of questions. We don't I have like a Tupperware bowl. No, fancy anything and it's been beautiful to see how it's worked out as far as people are just honest I've loved Mm -hmm. it 
we're on a busy road. And so that may have mm-hmm. something to do with it. We're also in the Bible Belt. And, you know, there's probably a lot of factors that play into it, but it's, it's the honor system's worked out really well for us. So that's really nice. I mean, we, we're right on the Canadian border. Like I was telling you before, like, I mean, border patrol is less than a thousand feet from our house, but raw milk is illegal in Canada, like completely oh, illegal, but you can buy raw milk in the United States up to $20 worth of raw milk products per day per person and take it back over the border. Oh, wow. That so is I'm like, so interesting. I'm like, totally I need to, I'm totally like, these, cow, these cows need to get back in milk. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I kept thinking like, oh man, we live 40 minutes from town. No one is driving up here to get milk from us. And I mean, we'll do deliveries to town if somebody is like, Hey, you know, I need a bunch of meat and you know, so I'll be like, yeah, I'll meet everybody at this one junction. And, um, but I'm like, wow, they can take it over the border like that, this whole nother conversation. So, yeah. Yeah. So the farm that I get my milk from raw milk from is about 40, uh, maybe 45 minutes away from me. Oh, wow. So we meet, we meet at another person's house to, like we take turns going all the way to the farm. Like there's a, there's a point that we take turns bring it back to. So a normal week, I only have to go like 15 minutes or 20 minutes to get it. But you know, every six weeks I have to go up to the farm 45 minutes away. So. So do you guys do calf share or herd share there or is it legal to buy? um, It is not legal to buy it here. You have to do something. Okay. See in Idaho, it's legal. So there's. Okay. On the corridor that people would have to drive 40 minutes to my house, there's three other places they could stop for raw milk. Oh, wow. Okay. That doesn't mean that, you know, if someone's already committed to me or, you know, one place doesn't sell pork, we sell pork. One place has soft serve ice cream, but we do huckleberry ice cream. You know, there's just, there's differences. There's room. room. (laughs) Yeah. And we'd be the only one in our community. So there you go. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so, we, we do cut flowers and I have pretty hard the past few years and I love it. It's just kind of a hobby. It's not my husband's thing at all. So if mm-hmm. you know anything about cut flowers, it's a ton of work, a ton of work. Um, and he's not into it. So I do it all by myself. And then this year there's like a, a you pick flower farm opening, not even a mile away, or maybe it's a mile away. And I'm like, Hmm, maybe that's my sign to step back. <laughs> and my husband's, but, you like, know, my husband's like, but you're different. And I'm like, I know, but it's so much work. You the know? cut flowers for them to just be able to grab a bouquet, like on the way home from work or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's worked out really difference. well. Yeah. It's worked out well. So I didn't mean it is two different things, but we're literally like a mile apart from each other. So it will be interesting to see if it does affect my sales this year, but yeah. Um, see how it goes. And then that can make help you make your choice. Yeah. 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 Well, actually one of the farms that, um, they're pretty decent size. In fact, uh, when Joel Salatin comes out here for our conference, he's actually going to their farm to help them set up their, um, program, which they're way beyond where we're at. But my son is friends with their son and their son runs their dairy and our son runs our dairy. And so he's told them like, you can come help me out and I'll show you how to get your system up and going. So that's awesome. Yeah. Good yeah. kids. I mean, we live in a community where 40% of us homeschool. Wow. Yeah. That's so huge. The, yeah. I mean, we just had homeschool prom the other night and there was like 150 kids there. Wow. Okay. But why don't you have a church closer than 40 minutes? Oh, I take it back. There is one 10 mile, 
no, 15 miles down the road, but okay. it's very small. Okay. Not where you're going to take your kids for youth group necessarily. No, they, well, they do have a youth group, but there's only three kids. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my yeah, kids, they'll, kind of like, they'll, 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 you to go to youth group with some of their friends and stuff like that sometimes, but yeah. it's even, it's hard for us to even make it to that, but yeah, it is a really tight community here. And, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I know what it's like in Tennessee. There's a church on every corner. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. Or a Dollar General. That too. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're getting our first Dollar General. It's 27 miles. So. Oh my gosh. But don't, it's not even worth the drive. Like they don't really have what you need. Well, so the closest grocery store was 40 miles away. And this one's going to be 27 oh. miles away. So, okay, they may have the baking soda. I take that back. <laughs> like if I, you know, you know, sometimes like we don't have milk, you know, like I don't want to have to drive all the way yeah. into town for just a gallon of milk. You know, we prefer the raw milk, but I am not above some pasteurized milk if we need food. You absolutely. Know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. No, they, they do have milk. You're right. Milk and butter and eggs. And sometimes they have cream if it's a good day. See? So yeah, it mean, is. But don't expect fruit. Like don't not even bananas or apples. Nothing. Like well, okay. So there's a gas station right by there that has like a couple of coolers in it, and oh, okay. the milk cooler is right by the bathrooms. And the bathrooms smell like the sewage is backed up. Like so, everybody jokes oh. like you don't buy milk at Three Mile. Like it's just you don't do it. You know. <laughs> and so it's been this big complaint because Three Miles, like the little like junction, just north of town and the closest grocery store is on the south end of town like another 10 miles away so like it is frustrating for all of us north county people that are like i just you know it i just, I just need one thing like yeah yeah <laughs> that's hilarious well i i enjoy the challenge of thinking about something being 40 minutes away so because i mean i told my husband i would love to be more remote someday be in a quieter spot but I'm so used to everything being right here. So, you know, it's good I, to hear your point I just make my grocery list like a little bit more in advance. I make sure we have everything. We, we still go to town a couple times a week, you know, I mean, it's, we have co, you know, homeschool co-op and 4-H meetings. And then there's the days like when it's baseball season and there's 4-H meetings going on and we did and a doctor's appointment and we've done the trip three times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. you, you just figure it out and um, make sure you always have money for gas. <laughs> oh, good to know. <laughs> and a full gas tank. There is a gas station right here on the border, but they don't always, they aren't always open. So gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so, it's so neat to connect, you know, across the country and completely different worlds. I feel like is it really know, is, we, you know, we love Tennessee when we come to visit, but we're definitely happy to like when we drive through town and then we're in the middle of nowhere. Like yeah. we really truly are. There is nothing else around us. There's less and less middle of nowhere around here. Yeah. And we, we kind of say Idaho is the last frontier. I believe it. I believe it. Cause Tennessee has, has gotten really populate, populated in probably just the past two years. Well, since COVID we've had, yeah, a huge and, you know, we've definitely had the influx up here too, but have you? you know, because things are still so, cl- there's so many options in Tennessee. You can live like middle of nowhere and still have your church and dollar general really close, you know, True. <laughs> where here, like once you get outside of town, there's some really, really remote places. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, 
our road trip last week, we ended up, it took us three hours to get to a town that we still only had one bar of service and there was a gas station and like a little store and a hotel, you know, like that was it. Wow. And then it was another, probably like a step back in time in some ways, I feel like. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's, it's wonderful and it's special. And sometimes we can be like out for our drives and, oh, I wonder what this was like, you know, a hundred years ago. And we actually stopped and walked through a cemetery that there was, you know, graves from 1886. And like, I mean, I know you guys have graves a lot older there, but then you get that whole story of, you know, the first like, you know, gold boom way up in the mountains there. And they had this little cemetery and it's just really neat. Wow. That is neat. Yeah. I've, I've read some historical fictions um, and taking place in both areas when you were talking about being in California and six generations. And I was like, Ooh, was her family a dust bowl refuge? Like refugee, you know, they flee the dust bowl, you know, so all these historical fictions I have in my head. They were actually, were they really? Yes. My, uh, grandpa was born in, Oh my gosh. Anyways, it's in Missouri. Okay. There's a little tiny town right outside of, um, like Springfield or no Marshville. Right where I'm going for the Ozarks convention in August. Okay. Wow. And that's where my grandpa was from. And he was born in 1912. And his parents and him came out in, yeah, in the 40s. Wow. That's crazy. That's... And my grandma was from Iowa and she moved out at the same time. They didn't know each other and met in California. Wow. So there's this book called Four Winds. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. Um, it's going on my list. Yeah, Four Winds. It's a it's a fiction historical mm. novel. It is forever long, but my library had it on audio. And I listened to it all in one weekend. But it was this family struggle of leaving or staying in the Dust Bowl. And it's, I mean, it, it's one of those, like, you're kind of just suppressed the whole time listening to it, but you can't stop listening to it because it's a world you can't even imagine what they're mm-hmm. going through. And so... Um, you having family gone through it, you'll probably relate to it even more and appreciate it. So yeah, well, and you, if I'm going to read fiction, a lot of times it's historical. So I'm excited. Yeah. This is going on my list. Yeah, yeah. And again, my library had, it. I don't know if you have a library up there, but we can listen, like I get several free audiobooks on my um, library. Yeah. yeah, we have a library, but they're going through a little bit of a turmoil at the moment. So we don't take the kids mm-hmm. there right now. <laughs> oh, no, this is on my app. Like I don't even, I don't go to the okay. library for this. We, we, we don't get that app. fancy. We don't have an app. I'm just saying, you might be able to put your library card in at work. I don't know. It's called the Libby app. The what app? <laughs> Libby. Libby. I don't know if it's nationwide. I've heard other people talk about it. but Somebody was telling me something about it. So I'll have to check that out. But mm-hmm. yeah, I we're part of like the bigger library network and that's the problem is our local people didn't want them to be part of the bigger library network because of some of the books that are then would be allowed in our library and when we have such a large homeschool community sometimes our homeschool kids are in the library every day and so yeah yeah and there's definitely some books that I wouldn't want my kids to see that are allowed in that network so Mm -hmm. it's it's tough because then you don't want them to ban the books that you want your kids to see too like that line of mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah I mean I know you live in the Bible Belt but we are in like an extreme conservative community oh okay like when I say extreme like Ruby Ridge happened in our county like the you know okay the crazy like I don't even remember like 
Christian survivalist type, like in the mountains, shoot off with the government, you know, like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're definitely going to fight anything. Yes, they, they are going to fight everything. That's like, yeah. Yeah. They want things one way and one way only. So yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like with a lot of the Californians that's moved here, like Tennessee's just getting stronger too, you know, it, as far as conservative goes, like, it's just, they're all coming to the South. <laughs> I do find that people are like, oh, you know, are you overwhelmed by the Californians, which we were originally Californians, but there's been a lot of life happened since then, you know? Yeah. But they're like, are you overwhelmed by the Californians? I'm like, oh my gosh, they're more conservative than the Idaho is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were, and, but, you know, I grew up in rural California and there's, you know, very conservative people there. Mm-hmm. So. And they're classy. Unlike a lot of, well, I should probably quit talking, but I know exactly what you, I know exactly what you mean. My, my dad is from center middle Tennessee. So yes, <laughs> my dad was born and raised in Rigby, Tennessee. So. <laughs> okay. Enough said. We, we understand what we're, what, yes. where we're going. My dad was like, you know, you fix everything with duct tape and bailing wire and yeah. There you Which, have it. But then he owned three shipyards and would go to these giant fancy events and like roll up in his F-350. So yeah. Yeah. Well, well uh, like the biggest pressure I have felt is like, you know, the Instagram world where people can paint whatever picture they want. And while these, like, these Californians paint really beautiful pictures of their gardens and their raised beds and their milking and their everything. And I'm over here like, um, I guess I should pull my weeds. Uh, you know? I love that my photographer, she takes beautiful pictures and makes my trash look like it belongs. So oh. <laughs> that's awesome. And I say, I shouldn't just say Californians, but you know, people that come with class to the garden and I'm like, oh man, the competition is on. I was just growing food here, but now right. I gotta make it look good too. Okay. Yeah. I don't make, I mean, we make things functional and clean, but it is not beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful in its own way, but it's not. Yeah. It's not Pinterest worthy. Like I have this beautiful, beautiful yard. And at the edge of it is where like our hayfield meets up and there's like weeds all on the edge, everything like it's. Yeah. But it still produces. So Mm -hmm. then that's all we need. So yeah. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our time. So I want to ask you my favorite question for all my guests. And that is what does keep growing mean to you? Uh, I look at it from a point of um, my faith. Um, keep growing in my hope, keep growing in my faith in God, my trust in him, probably is what I would say. And then personally keep growing is I, I gotta keep challenging myself to learn more, to do more, to give more, to be more. Um, yeah, I should have prepared a better answer, but that's first things that come to mind. So, you know what? I purposely don't tell anyone about that question unless they've already been listening to my podcast. Cause I want that. And I have, but I didn't even think about oh. it. <laughs> No, I, I did the same thing on another podcast where she asked everybody what their best time outside is. It was thousand hours outside. Oh yeah. And so I talked about hunting with my dad and being in the Jeep and the smell of the dust and the hot sage and how I can smell sage on a hot summer day now. And it can just take me right back to being in the Jeep with my dad. Oh, wow. And she was like, oh, that's beautiful. And then I got off the call and I was like, I was in a Jeep. Does that count as being outside or inside? Like, I know oh, like, man. I stressed on it. <laughs> no, the top was totally off the Jeep, right? 
I had a window down. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. So yeah, you. I mean, everybody has their moments where afterwards they're like, hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely keep growing in my faith and keep growing as a person as I am. I mean, obviously I'm going to keep growing rabbits, but. Uh... Well, I love it. You know, you keep growing rabbits and you'll maybe get healthier as a person. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That brings everything back together is, you know, that's our goal is to, um, and your body is a temple. So you're growing for the Lord. That's right. There you have it. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? Sure. Please find me on Instagram, Cox Homestead underscore Kodak. And I'm also on Facebook for those that still use that. And that is Cox Homestead Kodak. And our website is www.cox-homestead.com. And you can also find me on YouTube where I do a lot of just answering frequently asked questions. And occasionally I'll do a vlog type video. Um, I'm hoping to do more of those this summer since I'm off. So those are the main places you can find me. Well, I'll make sure that I link this in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Cody. This has been so much fun. Thanks. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing.